I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Uh, my name is Thomas Nygren. I write for uh, LFCSV.se, and it's a website about Liverpool. Hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's, and I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room. So this is Kostal Pandey. I can you guys can call me Kos. I'm I'm from Delhi in India, but I currently live in Manchester and Salford. I'm a football writer. I'm at I write for multiple football European football websites. I'm on Twitter at Kos underscore Pandey at seventeen. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, now we'll just jump into the news of the week. We'll start off with um with this whole fatigue issue that's been swarming around uh, the Premier League of late. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino has been having to deal with this. Uh, for multiple weeks now, especially regarding Harry Kane and whether or not he was fatigued. Then um, Pep Guardiola was asked in the press conference after they lost to Lyon in the Champions League if he thought their struggles were down to fatigue. And he said that fatigue as a physical, con- that he's not sure if fatigue as a physical condition even exists. Um, so curious to get your guys' thoughts on this. Do you think that those two sides are suffering from fatigue or, or is yours? Or do you also agree with Pep and you don't really think it's a factor here? Well, um, I think there are a lot of players who suffer from uh, fatigue in the Premier League right now, especially those who were in the World Cup, because uh, many of the players who played in the World Cup during the summer is looking a bit tired, or at least they have been very slow starters. Uh, Salah for Liverpool hasn't been at his best yet, and even a player like uh, Roberto Firmino, who I didn't think could be tired, has been looking a bit uh, rusty in the start of the season. Of course, players can suffer from fatigue. That is why you need a big squad so that you don't have to play your best players every game. And it's easy to forget that um, players get mentally tired as well as they have to deal with high pressure week in and week out. And it's hard to perform at your best when your head is not there. Um, You mentioned Harry Kane earlier, and that is the, the obvious player who comes to my mind when you're talking about fatigue. Because when we played Spurs away last season, he was uh, both extremely dangerous in the penalty area and involved in the build-up to the chances that was uh, created. Uh, Last weekend, we played Spurs again away, and uh, he was uh, almost invisible. There can, of course, be other reasons for his bad performances lately, but uh, I think he suffers from fatigue. He has been playing a lot for both club and country since he came back from the injury last season, and he hasn't looked at all uh, like like the player we feared last year. So uh, I think that uh, there are uh, quite a few players in the Premier League who who would be needed some uh, rest after the World Cup, who's been playing a bit too much at the start of the season. And I'm a bit worried about both uh, Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, how they will cope with uh, many games coming up this month. I think it's an interesting point. Um, I think it's a little narrow-minded to say that um, physical fatigue isn't isn't a thing at all because it, it definitely is like they have all these big medical departments to to monitor how players have been used and, and how their muscles are and if they're going to be prone to injury they wouldn't have them if fatigue wasn't an issue you do get tired and, and if you're playing a lot of games then you you know you're more likely to get injuries and things like that and you're more likely to maybe um perform lower than lower than you can do because you, you know you're dealing with slight aches and pains across your body but i think Pep has a point to an extent. I think fatigue is quite an easy excuse to use sometimes. Um, and, and I think, especially when you, when you look into Tottenham as well, I think there's issues bigger than, than tiredness. I think there's tactical issues. I think there's, there's perhaps squad issues, morale issues about wages. I know Toby Alderweireld is, is a huge one. I think 
this uh, um, Tottenham are trying to placate him quite a lot uh, so he signs a new contract but in doing so they're perhaps limiting themselves by playing formations and players that they perhaps don't, shouldn't be playing just to fit him in so I, I, I don't think that I think it's very easy to blame tiredness um, as a thing and I think that's Guardiola is trying to deflect away from that and trying to take responsibility, trying to you know get the players to take responsibility for a, for their underperformance and not blaming it on tiredness because it is an easy excuse. I, th- I think there's some sort of merit in the point. I just think it's it, it's wrong to suggest it's not it's not a concept at all. Um, but I think I, I agree with Thomas when he mentioned um, you know mental fatigue as well. I think that's that's perhaps maybe a, a bigger issue for these clubs, um, especially you know when you're defending a title and, and you've done what City have done. It can be difficult to sort of motivate themselves. That's definitely been the problem in the past when they've won the title, uh, and it could be an issue again this year. Um, remains to be seen, but I, I think that there are bigger issues for both Tottenham and Manchester City. If you can even call them problems for Manchester City, it's only one loss, but you know it's bigger problems. Than that, than physical fatigue. I don't think that's a, that's a huge one. So I sort of, sort of, I agree with him to an extent, but I don't. I, I think he's gone a little bit too far in on it. Um, but I think it's a, it's a really interesting, you know, uh, glance into the mind of Pep Guardiola because I know, especially at the start of the season, we had um, a lot of people were were confused at his lack of lack of use of uh, uh, his decision not to use Leroy Sané because he didn't go to the World Cup. But now, if he, if Guardiola thinks there's no such thing as physical fatigue. It makes a lot more sense uh, if if he's focusing on other things because you know Sane is attitude and things like that have come into question recently. So it it clears up that one anyway. But I think it's an interesting point. I just think it's it's perhaps not completely right. But I think there's I think he's right to to try and deflect away from it because I think it's an easy excuse to, for all the top clubs to use. Yeah, and it's interesting that when all of them are given a choice to use it as an excuse, they aren't because um, it does seem like it would be an easy way out, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that both of you mentioned um, the mental aspect of it, which is obviously what Pep was mentioning as well. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, these are all athletes in their primes. You'd, you'd think physical fatigue wouldn't really big th- be that big of a factor, especially in the early stages. Like, these players are not going to get more rest before the end of the season. So, like, the idea that they're coming in slow because they had to play all summer, they didn't really get a break and they won't anytime soon. So if it is physical fatigue then there's not really a solution there. Um, but yeah, if, if it is mostly on the mental side, maybe there's a solution there. Rotation, obviously, the main uh, situation. And as um, Thomas was saying, this is why you need to to have a bigger squad these days is because you have so many competitions you're dealing with, both uh, for internationals and for your clubs, that, that if you do want to get people arrest, either physically or mentally, you're going to have to rotate, and you have to have enough players that you don't suffer a significant drop-off in talent when you do so. Well, I just think that uh, the media sometimes uses this fatigue issue as an excuse to describe a team's bad performances. I'm not saying that a team, a player or a team can't be tired over a period of time, especially after the World Cup. But teams like Tottenham and Manchester City are two teams who had the, uh, the most number of players in the World Cup. And whenever they kind of underperform, the media use the fatigue issue as a reason for as a reason for why they're underperforming. But if you look at the way Tottenham have performed, uh, I'm sure Kevin will know better than me, but uh, it's just that uh, sometimes it feels with Tottenham that um, they've underperformed because they just won better on that day, not just because of, because of tiredness, but because the other team was better than them, practically. Because uh, if you look at the Inter game, uh, I remember texting my brother saying that Tottenham will win this, write this on a piece of paper and then tell me. Uh, I remember tell, telling this to him mm-hmm. and I was pretty confident that Spurs will win that game. They were bossing Inter at one point of time. They should have scored another goal, but they tried managing that game but in the end, it was all too spursy. And for Manchester City, I think, uh, again, it's uh, similar with, similar to what happened with them last season against Crystal Palace. Uh, they weren't too good. Uh, they weren't too bad as well. But the media sometimes uses uh, it as the fatigue reason as an excuse. I'm not saying that players won't get tired, but there are only periods of time when players will look tired. Like Harry Kane, for example, does look a bit tired, although tiredness is not the whole reason for why he's underperforming. 
there are tactical reasons for that that Spurs have changed the system Lucas Moura is playing together with Kane up front and Kane is still getting to grips with that new system new tactics and and all that but uh, while tightness does have have an impact on a team's performances uh, it usually comes out when they take games for granted like uh, when if they play a big game Spurs looked tired in the Liverpool game but at the same time they looked as though they were tactically outclassed played a diamond midfield like they were tactically outclassed but that tiredness was there as well so tiredness is probably along with some other issues a, a part of the whole problem it does contribute to the problem it's not the whole problem but yes it's just that the media will overhype that issue because uh, city and tottenham are teams that have played brilliant football too for me they have been two of the best teams in the country over the last two over the last three seasons and they have managers and players who are really liked by the media so when teams like spurs and city start underperforming or even if their performances drop in one game uh the media will say that they're tired where even if they are not actually tired we obviously don't know if they're tired or not but the media will say they're tired because because it's a general fact which goes about in football that if a player or a group of players are coming back from world cup campaign especially uh both teams who have had majority of their players playing in the world cup and all of uh, that majority of players played on till semi finals like spurs and uh, spurs had both uh, had a majority of their players in the england english side and the belgian side which made made to the semi finals so i think this tiredness issue, issue is a bit too overhyped yeah do you think uh, manchester united are suffering from any fatigue no i don't think so and as i said about city and spurs even if the players are tired we won't get to know because the media will uh, go on saying that jose jose is this jose is that they won't really focus on the fact that even united had some players who were playing in the world cup they will bring jose for that for it when tiredness could also have been an issue but on a personal level i think that uh, i don't think many united players are suffering from that they're can be instances where they seem tired but on the whole we are getting what we deserve from the transfer window we've had fair enough all right uh we also have the EFL Cup coming up this week um sorry Jake of course already eliminated uh in the last round by Nottingham Forest uh but uh we'll start with you Thomas how seriously do you think Liverpool will be taking the EFL Cup this season well, this is a, it's a tough question because I think the club really wants to win something this season. And, of course, our supporters want to win something as well. It's uh, been a while since we last won a trophy. And uh, despite playing in three finals since Klopp arrived, we haven't won anything with him yet. And we will for sure try to win this tournament. But uh, we will try to win it without using too many from the starting eleven. It's a bit unlucky, though, that we are facing Chelsea in the first game. If we had an easier opponent, maybe we could have used players like Phillips and Jones. We could have played uh, Origi and uh, Solange up front. Now we will need some better players if we want to go to the next round. And uh, it will be interesting to see how Klopp chooses to play, his, uh, play this, uh, this Wednesday because we need a bit more experienced players if we want to win. He will surely use players like Fabinho and uh, Shaqiri who hasn't played very much yet. But... Um, well, um, I don't think that this is the tournament that uh, Klopp looks as the most, uh, that he wants to win the most. We were close to the Champions League last season and we're top of the Premier League now. So I will forgive him if he doesn't want to use his best players in, the, in this cup. But uh, when we get, if we get to the semifinals, maybe we'll see the starting eleven from the Premier League play the games. Yeah, Jake, we already mentioned uh, your elimination, but as we head into the week, are, are you more disappointed that you aren't still in it or more excited that you won't have to deal with yet another competition? Um, I don't really care. I don't think we're ever going to win it. I don't... I mean, it, it, I I like 
progressing in cups purely for the fact that you've got another match to look forward to. But at the moment, I'm not really looking forward to the matches. So maybe it's a maybe I'm I'm happy we don't have a game. It gives it gives Benny as a week on the training pitch to try and sort out the team because it's not been very good at all, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. But yeah, I'm not I'm not too disappointed. I don't think we we ever had a serious chance of winning it. So if if you don't have a chance of winning something, there's not really much point being in it. Yeah, and for Tottenham, Mauricio Pochettino is very on the record about not really regarding this or the FA Cup as the domestic trophies as targets for the season. Uh, if you make it far, then maybe you'll start seeing stronger 11s and your normal goalkeeper thrown back in. And Lloris, uh, we saw that last year in the FA Cup run. Uh, but in the early stages, it seems like he really doesn't value it, which is interesting because you know the main narrative against Pochettino is that he hasn't won anything. And it, it's, it seems a, a hard way to judge somebody when they say they're not trying to win things. Like, how do you disagree with that or, or criticize? Like, oh, well, you came up short in that competition. Well, I didn't care about that competition. It's like a, it's like a, a you're fired, no, I quit kind of thing. Um, but uh, I, I don't think Tottenham will be putting out very strong lineups uh, for these. Uh, interestingly, we ended up letting a lot of our younger players go out on loan again this year uh, with really only Onuma and Walker Peters um, being the young players that you would typically see bled in here because Carter Vickers is on loan um, at Swansea. You have uh, Marcus Edwards, who we've all had high hopes for for years, but looks like he might not make it uh, at the club. He's uh, he's over at, I think, Excelsior in uh, uh, the Netherlands. So we, we don't really have that many rotation options. I, it might just be like Lorente, Sissoko's back. We might see something like that. But um, on the whole, I don't think we're going to see first-team stuff really uh, in this competition. All right, and Kaz, how do you think Manchester United will be addressing the EFL Cup this season? Do you think we'll see a strong team from them? I think, yeah, Jose has to do that because it's come to a point where uh, there are two Premier League sides who are desperately in need to win a title or two, at least a trophy or two this season. One's Tottenham because they just have to get that get that monkey off the back. Mm. And the second team is Manchester United because this is Jose's third season and he doesn't just have to break this myth that he always goes down in this third season at every club he's been in. But it's also because the media and the atmosphere at the club is such that uh, everyone's saying that it's time for Jose to go. And it's and his relationship with the board has apparently gone down the drain and the players he wanted to sign have not been signed. And all he needs is a trophy is trophy to stay here for another season. Although I think he will not be here beyond this season, but a trophy, a, a trophy, be it an FA Cup, FA Cup, or an EFL Cup, or anything else, anything else. I don't know if we have anything else to win because we won't win the Premier League or Champions League. We just have the FA Cup and the EFL Cup to win. So that's probably Jose's best chance of getting a trophy, and he really does need that. Yeah, interesting stuff for sure. Uh, we'll stick with you now because uh, the final topic of, of news and notes is going to be about Alexis. It seems like mm-hmm. any week you guys don't win, there's an article talking about how Alexis is a waste of money at Manchester United and how the move failed. So we'll start with you. Uh, how have you rated Alexis's tenure at Manchester United thus far? It's been a, It's been pretty tough for him because if you look at how Alexis is as a player, there's a pattern to everything that he's done throughout his career. Uh, at Barcelona, he was good, but good as in you could re- give him a rating of maybe 7 out of 10. But at Arsenal, he was 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10. That's because at Barcelona, he had many other players who were just just as big as stars as him, as he is, or much more than what he is. The I mean, in terms of the stature and the stardom that he has, at Barcelona, he had a lot of stars in the side. And he could not really impose himself in that side. Although he was still relatively younger to what he is, Arsenal, he came in. The, that side had, had almost no stars whatsoever. They just had Amesad Ozil, who was obviously pretty vital to what Arsenal did. But Alexis was probably Arsenal's most important player. And one big reason for why he was the most important player is because he was the only star player in that team. And he comes to Manchester United for and becomes Premier League's most highest-paid player. And he joins a team which has stars which are as prominent as he is, and some stars who are more prominent than what he is. It 
kind of follows a pattern which says that Alexis can't perform to his very best when he plays a lot plays in a side which has stars of his level or stars of a level that's beyond him so that's a pattern that we witnessed and when it comes to what kind of tenure he had he's had at united it's it's as if he's had just two games where he's proved what kind of a it's the FA Cup semi-final against Spurs and that 3-2 comeback against City. These are just two games which he's been pretty good in and he's shown what he's worth. But when it comes to uh, how to deal with a player like him, as it seems as though he doesn't really care what, what's happening with him or what's happening with the club because being a player, he's getting a lot of money every week. And even if he does not perform to his level best, he will not really care about what's happening to his club or whether they're winning or not. But it's come to a point where Jose just has to drop Alexis. Uh, it can, that he, he should be dropped again in the League Cup game against Derby County because if he does get dropped, uh, by dropped, I mean not being in the squad whatsoever, not being in substitutes, not being in the starting lineup, he should be dropped out for the Derby County game because if he does get dropped, He'll, as a player, you feel that you're not in form, you're not playing what you're not playing well whatsoever. You, if you were given a, given a chance against the second division side, you could have scored goals, you could have got some assist, but you've not been given the chance by the manager. So he'll feel that something's wrong with me, and especially if he is United's highest paid player. So that's he has to be dropped. And when it comes to getting his form back being dropped is one way and the other is selling him off but that won't happen since we can't do that practically so yeah interesting thomas uh what have your views been on alexis's move to united well um he hasn't looked at all like the player he was for uh, arsenal he works hard but uh, often looks frustrated and not involved in the same way at all uh, when he played for Arsenal, he was the focal point of everything in the attack, and that role isn't there for him at United. I read somewhere that he hasn't scored in 800 minutes, minutes or something like that, and that's, of course, far from what you expect from him. I was a bit skeptical to this transfer from the start because I couldn't really understand why United needed to buy him, and I couldn't understand why, apart from the money, of course, Alexis wanted to go there. United already had great young players in his position and it felt like United played in a way that didn't really suit him. Perhaps he didn't have too many options, I'm not, I don't know. But um, it was as if uh, United signed him just because they could, not because they needed him. And he's a world-class player, but there have been few signs of that lately. And uh, if you look at uh, the Mourinho situation, I spoke in this podcast a few weeks ago when pre- predicted that uh, Mourinho would leave United for Christmas. And um, from Alexis' point of view, I think that uh, that is the only way that he can get back to his best because uh, the role that Alexis needs, as uh, you mentioned earlier, is uh, it's not there for him at uh, United. There are too many good players. So the only way that Alexis will be at his best for Manchester United is if Derek gets in a, a new manager who wants Alexis to be the focal point at the attack, because um, it's been it's been a while since Mourinho made an attacking player better, and I don't think that uh, Alexis will be the one that uh, changes that. So, as a Liverpool supporter, I'm uh, I, I really like the Alexis transfer because it made both Arsenal it made Arsenal weaker and uh, it didn't make United any better. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of interesting points made. Um, I think I'm going to slightly differ to both both um, both both you right now and what I think about Alexis because I just think it's just a simple case of a player just dropping off. I just I just think he's 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 just dropping off in performance. I don't think it's anything to do with Manchester United. I just think he's a player that's, that's, that's did natural decline a bit like Fernando Torres when he went to Chelsea. I just think I just think his time at the very top is gone. Uh, I think even last year at the, at the first half of the season, Arsenal he wasn't that great. And at the time, people, you know, were were covering that by saying that he didn't want to be at the club anymore. But he didn't want to be at the club the previous season, and he scored 24 goals and got 10 assists. So I don't think it's anything to do with that. I just think he's played a lot of games. He's played regularly in Europe since the uh, 2008-9 season with Udinese, and literally every season since then, he's played 
30 plus games across all competitions more usually a lot more than that so I just think he's I know we spoke about physical fatigue earlier. I think it's just a little bit to do with that I just think top level he's now 29 he doesn't quite have the burst of pace he once did and he's natural decline he's still a good player a, a, a very fun a good player yeah, um a good player to manage for Manchester United to have but if he's going to be a highest paid player he's not that at that level so perhaps they they probably shouldn't have signed him in the first place uh, and they should have looked at what he'd done how many games he's played sort of the, his performances at Arsenal and sort of seen this coming I just think it's he's just in the he's just in his decline and you know he will he will go on and probably score a few goals for Manchester United this season get a few assists but he's not going to be that 20 plus goal a season uh, across all competitions that he was at Arsenal, he's just not that player anymore, and it was uh, it was a bad transfer. And it was a, it, everybody knew it'd probably be a bad transfer. He's coming towards it, you know, he's going to reach thirty soon. He's, it was always going to be a, a short term um, transfer. And when Manchester United have Martial there, why there was no point in buying him? It was it was stupid, and and they're just suffering for it now. And it, that's just what Man United have been over the last two or three seasons. They just spend all this money on these big big name players and. Like Ebra, you know, there's, there's, they just bring in these players, and they just, there's not really much point in having them, and they just sort of do it for the sake of buying them. And I just don't think that's 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 the way to do business. And obviously, that's what Edward would have thought this summer because he's not given Mourinho the money to buy any more of these players because it would have been stupid. I think Alderweireld probably would have been a stupid transfer. Don't I just think I just think it's it was a bad transfer, and, and and he's a player on the decline. I don't think it's anything to do with how he's fitting in at Manchester United. I just mm. think it was always bound to happen. Whether he had went to City, it probably would have happened there as well. I just I just think it was he's just not as good as he once was. Yeah, it it did seem a strange one at the time, and the Ibrahimovic mention I think is a very fascinating one because they brought in Ibrahimovic, which made Martial and Rashford battle for a spot on the left wing, despite both of them naturally being center forwards. And then you bring in Lukaku after Ibrahimovic that keeps them out wide. And then you sign Alexis, which blocks them off on the wing developmentally. It, it just seems like very, very strange um, transfer dealings. Do you, do you agree with the, those assessments, Cause? Well, I think one big problem with United over the last, I think, 10 or 20 years is that there's been one player who... Uh, has because of whom the, the the development of the other young players and the other better players, in fact, has been stagnated. If you look at uh, the period from 2000, maybe 9 to uh, 13 or 14, United had many good players who could play at number 10 position better than Wayne Rooney could. And uh, because Rooney was pretty much United's best player during that time, he always used to play at number 10 position where players like Shinji Kagawa could not make it to the United uh, squad a lot of times and that's why they got sold. And uh, the point you make about uh, Zlatan being there and uh, the development of both Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial being stagnated, I think United's transfer strategies have been pretty much conflicting because... Uh, as I've as I just previously previously said that uh, what Jose wants is not exactly what the board wants. They might have handed him a new contract back in uh, April or uh, April, I think April or March. But it's disappointing to see that the board and Mourinho are not on the same wavelength. And because of that, the uncertainty has flooded onto uh, the pitch and. If the board doesn't know what to do, the players clearly won't know what to do because that's that's where everything starts. And every time Jose has suggested a signing, the board has probably put it down. And every time the board has suggested a signing, Jose has put it down because he does not feel that the player can fit into his system. And that's been one conflict that's been happening since maybe <clears throat> January. And Alexis Sanchez, one signing that, Jose really wanted, not just because he would have improved United. It was a signal of intent, a marketing campaign or a marketing strategy, whatever you can call it, that United are still very much financially capable of challenging clubs like City, who have spent a lot more than United have. But uh, it was only a marketing strategy, as we can currently see. And the way Rashford and Martial have been used, uh, coming to Martial, uh, 10 out of 1, 
one game out of ten. That's the only game Martial plays well. Uh, I know Alexis has been bad. Alexis has been pretty bad, as bad as Martial. But um, you know, I don't have anything else apart from them. If Martial can't play under Jose's system, but Martial can't work as hard as Jose wants him to, wants him to, Martial clearly won't play. And Alexis is sometimes on the pitch solely for his work rate. And work rate is something that Jose always loves in a player. He wants to sign the likes of Ivan Perisic uh, from last season, from last summer, even this summer. He's not been able to sign a player like Ivan, Paris- Ivan Perisic, who has terrific work rate and would probably be bet- better, than- better than Sanchez is at United because he doesn't just have a good work rate. He is more consistent. He might be of the same age as, as Alexis is, but uh, Perisic is that kind of a player who might not have played at the top level, but he knows how to work hard enough. He was on the bench for Borussia Dortmund when he was playing under Jurgen Klopp, and Jurgen Klopp apparently uh, had scolded him and told him that you don't work hard enough. That's that's one way that Ivan Perisic has worked up the ladder. So Jose wanted Perisic not solely because of his work rate, because he is a typical Jose player who knows how to take criticism. Uh, players like uh, Hendrik Mkhitaryan, even Martial, have not taken that criticism well. Jose has his ways. I'm not saying I support him, but every manager has his own ways. Since Jose is at United, the board has to make sure that they back Jose till death. But they've not done that. And that's why the development of both Martial and Rashford has suffered. All right, we'll leave that there and take a quick break. And then we'll be back with questions for each of our guests. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. We'll lead in with you, Thomas. Um, for Liverpool... Fabinho was a very exciting signing in the offseason. He seemed like the perfect defensive midfielder to come in and shield your back line, which has obviously been improving um, ever since Gomez came in, although obviously Matipa played today. Uh, But we haven't really seen him. We did see him on display for Brazil over the international break, Um, but you've obviously started uh, with seven consecutive wins. So I'm just curious as to when, where, and how he'll be included in this eleven. Well, uh, I think we'll see him uh, this Wednesday in the League Cup. But in the league, I think we'll have to wait a while because Klopp uh, said a few weeks ago that uh, Fabinho needed to adapt to the way that Liverpool plays. It was uh, easier to make, to let Keita play from the start because where he came from, they played a bit more similar to Liverpool. And uh, the way that Monaco played, Fabinho was a defensive midfielder, but not in the same way as he is supposed to be at Liverpool. And it is, it's uh, easier to see him besides the, beside the pitch now when uh, both Gini Vinaldum, James Milner and Jordan Henderson is playing maybe their best football in, uh, in years. So um, it, I think it's good that we don't rush Fabinho into the, into the team because uh, it was the same way with um, Robertson last season when we started with Moreno the first two or three months so that uh, Robertson could adapt to the way that Klopp wanted him to play. And when he started to to play, he was uh, he didn't he didn't put a foot wrong. So I think we'll have to wait for uh, maybe a month before Fabinho starts in the most important league games. Uh, we'll see him um, in the League Cup, maybe a, a few of the league games, but um, 
since both Vinaldum and uh, Miller is playing very well and Keita is getting better, there is no need to rush him in. I'm looking forward to seeing him maybe at his best after Christmas when uh, when the league is start getting closer to the finish and uh, the playoffs in the Champions League starts. He's uh, it's the kind of player that we need in the midfield because uh, it's much it's uh, taller than the other ones, so it's great in the air and uh, he's strong, he's smart. He will get into this team before maybe maybe around Christmas, and then uh, then we'll see how good he is. Would it be Milner that that he'd be replacing in that kind of context? Uh, I can't see anyone replacing James Milner right now. Uh, maybe it's it will be. Uh, Fabinho at the center and uh, Keita and Milner beside him. Uh, if Milner keeps on playing like he does right now, it's uh, it's hard to not have him on the on the pitch. He's a he's a very important player and maybe he's been underrated for quite a while. But uh, past weeks, uh, uh, many Liverpool supporters are starting to show their respect for him. And uh, he was uh, very good against Tottenham. He was very good against Paris last week. So. Maybe it's the. It, I think it will be Keita, Fabinho, and Milner who is the first choice. But uh, we will hopefully play many games, so uh, there <laughs> will be chances for uh, everyone. Yeah, I may have buried the lead a bit there when I mentioned uh, that Liverpool are off to their best start in club history with seven consecutive wins. Has it changed expectations within the fan base as to what you can achieve this season? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, many of us expected. Uh, shot at the title this season but i don't think that we were uh, we hoped for it but i don't think that we maybe thought it was a realistic shot but uh, winning the first six games of the premier league and doing it in very different ways we started with uh, beating western quite easy a few tough away games that we won we we beat tottenham away and uh, yesterday we we won the home game against Southampton, who was after the Champions League games. So um, we last season, we didn't win many of the games who were after the Champions League. So we're winning, we're winning in very different ways this season than we're used to. And I think it's a lot of it is down to the defense, because we don't let in many easy goals. I think there are, there are, we've let in two goals this season. And one was, uh, we scored the first one on our own against Leicester. And the other one was Lamela's yeah. uh, and the dying minutes against Tottenham. So we defend really well. And uh, that is something that we haven't seen before. And that makes me think that uh, it is, we have a chance of winning the title. We have 18 points. And uh, if we beat Chelsea this weekend, we will be five points ahead of them. So then we have City at home. So if we keep on playing the way we do now, the title can be reached, but uh, I still think that Manchester City is the favourites, but uh, they should fear the way that Liverpool plays right now. So uh, I'm looking right now I'm looking forward to this season. Yeah, I bet. Um, Jake, coming to you now uh, about Newcastle. Uh, the big incident was not anything that really happened in a footballing sense between you and Palace. Obviously, ends up as a nil-nil draw. Uh, but there's been controversy kicked up over a video of a fan throwing a bottle onto the pitch, seemingly towards uh, Aaron Juan Basaka. Obviously, this is bad um, and maybe attributed to fan frustration. Just what did you make of the story and kind of the the weight that's been given to it in the media? I just think there is a bit of an obsession in the media to, to portray football fans as hooligans. It's always been the case in England. It's nowhere near as bad as it once was. And when things like this happen, it's just very easy to, to blow it out of all proportion. Yes, the person that did it is an idiot. Probably shouldn't be going. To, probably should get some sort of punishment, some sort of ban for doing it because you shouldn't be throwing things at players no matter what you're, what's happening on the pitch and, and what your feelings are towards any sort of individual player or club, it's not, it, it's not on, but it happens across the country. Individual, isolated incidents like this happen all the time. And it's it's not a bad, it shouldn't be portrayed poorly on Newcastle fans. Newcastle fans on the whole are, are seen as very good supporters, uh, very good following. And, and you do get one, you know, a handful of idiots in any any fan base, sometimes more than a handful. You get idiots who, you know, who want violence or that, or, you know, that they just, there are idiots everywhere. So I just, I just think it's just one of the things that happens. And, and it should just be, 
isolated to football either. It happens at entertainment events across the world. Things like this happen. So it's it's, it's yes, it's bad. Yes, if they found the person that did it, he should be punished. But it's 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 not. It shouldn't be portrayed badly on on Newcastle fans or football fans in general. It's just it's just an idiot at the end. It's just an idiot doing something. That's all it is. Yeah, and for whatever it's worth, um, Roth after the match was asked about it, and he basically said um, there were plenty of. Uh, fans that didn't cause those issues and they were so thankful for the support and I think that's kind of your point is, is it's just kind of a an outlier but unfortunately an outlier that we see all too often uh, pretty much anytime you get a large number of uh, people together for anything really um, on the actual footballing side things not that great for Newcastle uh, you've currently created the fewest chances in the Premier League thus far this season is there any in-house option that can turn that around um no, I just I just think we've not got the greatest greatest um, greatest squad, and that's being seen on the pitch. We didn't get any money to strengthen. Really, we ended up doing loan and free signings, and and this is what's going to happen when you decide to do things on the cheap. You're not going to get a very good football team. So, and and that is what has to happen with Newcastle. But the one thing I will say is we've played four of last season's top six, and we scored against each of them so you know are things that bad probably not as bad as they've been made out I think um, and, and, and the, you know we played Cardiff and Crystal Palace and kept a clean sheet a bit against both of those teams so you know if, if you're looking at games where you should be going into target uh, to get something away games against two teams that are not going to be in the top six we've managed to keep a clean sheet on both of those occasions and you know when we did play the the you know Arsenal Tottenham Chelsea and Man City we did you know we scored a goal in each of those matches so I don't think things are that bad I think it's just it's it's it was always going to be a horrible start for Newcastle we didn't help help ourselves in the transfer market things aren't really being helped by the the conflict between owner and manager they continue to go on it was uh, interesting to see Mike Ashley at the game on Saturday whether what he thought of it I don't know um I know there's a lot of protests about him in in, in the away fans there was banners uh, talking about sportsredirect.com which is a website that practically, practically tells you where where you can buy things that is not sports direct so it's quite fun that that banner was there when <laughs> Mike actually was in the ground so I, I think I think he I think things are reaching a boiling point with Mike Ashley I think it's got to go it's got to go one way or another soon um and I think I think sadly that what will be the boiling point of the whole thing is when Benitez leaves, whether that's mid season or at the end end of this current season. That's probably when things really get ramped up a notch and that's probably when he will eventually go. He's he's not gonna be here forever, he's gonna go at some point. And I just it's just depressing to support Newcastle at the moment because we've got a manager that can do good things with the club if he was given the tools to do it and he hasn't been given those he's spoken about that he was asked about a new contract and he said we'll, we'll revisit this in january uh when i saw when i joined the club i i i was sold an ambition of challenging in the top 10 that's not happening so we're gonna have to reassess that so it's it's he's, he's literally been sold he's been given false promises since he took over uh the one season he was allowed to spend money incredibly is when we were in the championship which does show you what mike ashley thinks he thinks he wants premier league football and once he gets there he doesn't really want to spend money because that's where he wants to be. He's reached his objective, uh, and it's happened again. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we're probably going to be fine. I still think that. I think Benitez knows how to get results. The two games that you know we went into thinking that we could get something from, we got a point. Yeah, in, in both those games, yeah, it's not great against Cardiff. We missed a last minute penalty. You know, that's probably a game we should have won. But I, he he can get results and and he can coach it back four and and he, he things. In the, in the attack will get better. It's a confidence thing as well, I think. Uh, Kennedy hasn't looked great at all this season. Perez has struggled. But once, you know, we get a home game against... And I'm not going to pick a club because that would be unfair. But when we get a home game and, and you know, we get, go and win a 3-0, which is going to have to breed confidence. Um, and, and last season, especially, we were a lot better in the second half of the season. I think I think we're going to be down in the bottom three for a while. I think we've still got some tough fixtures coming up. I think we've got Manchester United, Leicester, uh, a couple of other ones that, that don't look ideal. But I think Benitez isn't going to get Newcastle really get over the whole season, no matter how poor his squad may be. He will get he will get the best out of it, and we will eventually start to do something. We're probably not going to be very good. We'll probably finish lower mid table, but I don't think we're going to go down. I think it will improve. I don't think it's as bad as it's been portrayed. It's just very unlucky that we've had this run of fixtures, and it's happened at the start of the season because everybody gets sort of calmed by a win, and we haven't managed to do that yet. But I'm sure it will come in due time. 
All right, uh, now moving on to United. Cause uh, we saw um, Delote finally get a start. We've seen Luke Shaw being used far more this season than Ashley Young. Last year's pairing, obviously, Valencia and Young at the wingback positions. Uh, how long do you think it'll be before uh, Delote and Shaw are the first options at those positions? Well, I think uh, while Luke Shaw is already a regular here, I think Diogo Dalog is going to take about around Christmas to uh, become a regular, at least in the Premier League, because he's not seen Premier League action yet and he probably does not does not really know what the Premier League is about or he will take time in getting to grips with what the Premier League is. And I think uh, that it's sometimes embarrassing to see that, see that a club like Manchester United are playing a 33-year-old uh, uh, player who used to be a right-winger as a right-back and and when that parent in Antonio Valencia uh, does not do well against uh, Wolves, it feels that uh, someone someone as good as Diogo Dalo should get his Premier League debut. But I think uh, this time isn't right for him to make his debut because um, he will take a while to get to grips with what the Premier League is. And around Christmas, I think uh, he will be a full-time staff, uh, full starter. But I think Luke Shaw, I'm really been impressed by him. And I think maybe next summer, Ashley Young will have to go and United will probably get another left back in. So, yeah, that's how it is. I'm sure Danny Rose's ears just perked up. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how um, Sean Delow get on there now. Uh, one of your summer additions, there weren't many, but uh, Fred came in. Obviously, another player, like Alexis, we mentioned earlier, that... Uh, across town rivals Manchester City were also very interested in. He yeah. does get the goal at the weekend. H- how have you found his performances thus far since he's joined the club? I think he's been quite here and there. Um, in the away games that he's played, I think he's disappointed a lot of times. Uh, when he's played at home, he's looked pretty good, be it during that uh, uh, loss to Tottenham as well. He was pretty good in that 3-0 loss. He was very good against Leicester, one of the best players on the pitch. Uh, in the in all the home games that he's played in, he's been one of the best players as he was against Wolves. But as the case with Dallo, uh, Fred too will take his time to get to grips with the Premier League completely because uh, he's since he's pretty good at home. At home, he he looks like the player he was at Shakhtar, and uh, I think. With the atmosphere that's there in the Premier League away from home, the physicality with with which the away side, the home sides play when United play away, that kind of has an impact on on a player like Fred, who's not too uh, big in stature, and he's 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 playing in a position where a lot of physicality is involved. So I think uh, he'll be much much better during the term of the year. All right, now we will head into Player Watch, where we're going to just discuss who has been the biggest or best surprise at your club thus far this season. Uh, we'll start off with you, Thomas. Well, uh, we signed Fabinho and Nabiketa before the start of this season, and uh, I thought that uh, that would make it really difficult for Gini Vinaldum to get some game time this season. But I was very wrong about that. Apart from James Milner, he's been maybe our most consistent player during the start of this season. And uh, the way that he has adapted to the more central defensive role on our midfield has been has been very good. He played a few games in that position last season as well, and he showed some signs that it would be a good choice to have him there. But uh, I thought that the competition from both Fabinho and Jordan Henderson would be too much for him. Now he's even scoring goals. He scored away from home against Spurs last week, and it was the first time in his Premier League career. Uh, but it's the way that he moves the ball that impresses me the most. He's so smart when both with the long and short passes in the midfield. And uh, he's very good at covering the ball as well and getting away from his opponents. So if he continues to play like this, there is absolutely no hurry in getting Fabinho into the team, as we talked about earlier. And uh, I have, of course, I have to mention Joe Gomez as well. I knew he was talented, but uh, I didn't think that Lovren's injury would be an issue as long as Gomez was fit. But um, I didn't think that our young Englishman would play the way that he has. And today I can't see Klopp replace him from the starting lineup for anything else than a short rest. So Lovren's injury at, uh, during the World Cup 
might be the end to his uh, career as a starting player in Liverpool because uh, Joe Gomez next to Viril van Dijk is uh, the best defensive pairing we've had since Jamie Carragher and Sami Hüppia. All right, and uh, Jake, for Newcastle, any uh, big surprises, maybe not positive? Um, yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I could pick out a few that haven't been positive, but I'll, I'll pick out a positive one because this is a positive podcast. So let's <laughs> let's talk about a positive one. And I think uh, Federico Fernandez has been really, really good since he's coming to the team. Uh, when we signed for Swansea, it's a little bit underwhelming, you know, a, a player from relegated club um, who didn't have, who's, you know, most of his career's gone, but. You know, he's still got a few years left in him, and he looks like a really, really good signing uh, alongside Jamal Lascelles. Those two look like they could they could form a really good centre back pa- uh, pairing over, you know, the course of this season. Um, last year, Lascelles and, and Florian Lejeune were very good, but Lejeune got injured during preseason, and he's going to be out for most of this year. So it was it was important that we found somebody to slot in next to him. I thought it'd be Fabian Shaw personally, um, and I think maybe he's he's he will, you know be an important player for us once he settles in England but Fernandes has that Premier League experience and he, he looks classy he's so good on the ball uh, got an assist last week against Arsenal um, comfortable bringing it out he's very good at the back no, you know, knows when to take risks knows when to just clear it um, often picks the right option when he's on the ball uh, in terms of passing as well he looks like a really really good signing uh, previously coached by Benitez at, at Napoli which is probably why he got brought in uh, six million fee, which is not a lot these days, which is still a huge amount for Newcastle, but it's not a lot in, in general scheme of things. And he looks like a, a, an absolute snip at that price. So he's he's been very very good, and I think that he's only going to get better. So it would be and and the fact that we've got two clean sheets already this season. Yes, we're in the bottom three, but we we've managed to keep two clean sheets. And I, I think that's going to be a running theme of of our season. We're going to keep a lot of clean sheets relative to where we are in the league, and I think he's going to be a big player for us in in, in terms of doing that. So yeah, he's been really really good. All right, and for United, has anybody been a pleasant surprise? It's a nice way to frame it, Kevin, because the way you said, has anyone been a positive? <laughs> because uh, the media has been going on about how useless some of the United players have been, but I've got to give mention to two players who have impressed more than they should have or more than we expected them to. One's probably Fellaini. Because when he signed his uh, new contract back uh, this past summer, many uh, thought that he should have not signed that contract because he is, has never been that typical United-type player who plays attractive football. He he never lifts you off your seat to, to score uh, proper Hollywood goals. He never does stuff that Paul Pogba does. Or he's never too effective on the ball. But the way he's been used by Mourinho uh, since the last four games, I think that's probably made him one of our most important players so far this season. Because it's not just down to how Jose has played him. He he played him as a defense holding midfield player last game against Wolves, which was slightly surprising. But since Matic was suspended, uh, he had to do that. And Herrera was probably injured. Uh, Fellaini has... Played, has probably been one of our best players, as I said. And second player who second player is Chris Smalling. Eighty uh, percent of the United fan base wants Smalling sold, but even I want him to still want him to get sold. But uh, the performances that he's come up with uh, in the last three or four games have shown that uh, United will always have a very good second choice option if we get. Uh, if we get uh, quality centre-backs and maybe tall Toby Alderweireld uh, next summer. Uh, in Chris Smalling, we have someone who knows what United are all about. He has been at the club for long, longer than at least uh, Lindelof and Bae. And if uh, in the future, even if our top, if, even if our first-choice centre-backs uh, fail or even if they underperform, Chris Smalling is certainly someone who can always... Uh, impress and make sure that United are fighting on the defensive front. All right, and we will wrap up with match previews. Uh, Obviously, most of us have EFL Cup matches. Again, sorry, Jake, just accidentally keep taking that dig at you. Uh, But we'll lead in with Manchester United, who are going to be facing uh, Derby County. Uh, How do you think we'll see Jose set the team up? Uh, I think it will be pretty similar to how we how we were set out against Wolves. But I think Sanchez should, should be dropped for the Wolves game. And 
uh, Anthony Martial should be should be starting that one because, as I said, Alexis Sanchez should be aware of the fact that no player is bigger than the club, and even if he's earning more than anyone else in in the Premier League, he should know that he should match the expectations. And if he doesn't do that, he should be dropped. And I think uh, Dalo will get another will get another run out against Derby. And uh, I expect Bai to come back as well because he's been out of the ga- out of out of action for the last three or four games ever since that debacle against Brighton happened. Uh, I think Bai will come back again, uh, alongside maybe Jones or Lindelof. And with a game against West Ham coming up, I think uh, Luke Shaw may just not be risked because you never know when he gets injured. I hope he doesn't get injured anytime soon. And Fred should be playing again because, um, as I said, he needs to get to grips with the Premier League more than he currently is. Pogba should be benched. And Scott McTominay and Andreas Ferreira. And up front, uh, uh, Martial should play, Lingard should play, and Lukaku. Hmm. Okay, Thomas, I'm coming to you. Uh, Liverpool versus Chelsea seems the most... Uh, Interesting and high profile of the matches midweek. Um, you already mentioned Fabinho may get the start in this one. Who else might join him? And are you confident in this one? Well, it's um, this will be a tough game because we play Chelsea twice the upcoming week, and I don't think there will be too many players who will beat you in both of them, at least not from the start. Um, we will. I'm not sure that uh, that uh, Klopp wants to play Mignolet in goal, but. Uh, uh, the back four will probably see both uh, Klein and Moreno start because none of them have played any more than a few minutes at the start of this season. Uh, and uh, in the midfield, both Fabinho and Keita should start because they need their game time. And this is the it's the smallest cup competition. And so they need their minutes. Up front, I hope we will rest at least one of Salah and Mania and Firmino so that we can play uh, Shakiri and Sturridge from the start. Both uh, Shakiri and Sturridge have looked really good the games they've played so far. Sturridge was... Uh, he did his best start since uh, Klopp signed when he played um, Paris last weekend. Uh, last week. And um, Shakiri's first half against Southampton was... Uh, yeah, he, he won the game for us. So I think that we will see those players. And uh, it will be interesting to see how, uh, how Chelsea goes into this game because... Um, they have a huge squad, but uh, I, I'm not. I don't. I haven't seen how many players Sarri has used at the start of this season. But uh, both teams would uh, want to win on Saturday more than on uh, Wednesday. So hopefully we can beat them uh, in the cup because it's it's on Anfield. So we should be uh, at on top of them. And uh, then on Saturday we will see. That would that's the game I'm looking forward to the most. Wednesday is like. Uh, no, it's it's like a pre-match for Saturday. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting when you face the same opponent twice in the same week, and we'll see how you fare. Uh, Jake, looking ahead to the weekend, you're going to be hosting Leicester. Uh, how do you see this match taking place? Yeah, it's a big one, isn't it? I think a home game against. Uh, uh... With all respects to Leicester, a team that you'd hope be hoping to get something from, it, it, it's it's an important one. And, and throughout, you know, Benitez's reign as Newcastle manager, we do normally win the games that we have to win, or, or the games that we put up pressure on ourselves to win. So, in that respect, I would be surprised to see us go and win it. Um, I think Leicester got some good players. Madison's very been very impressive. Uh, uh, Iheanacho's sort of been picking up. Vardy is back. They they had a good win over Huddersfield at the weekend. But I don't. I'm not too convinced by them still, especially as uh, on the road. I think they they were awful against Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago. Um, some sort of problems with Pure. I don't think he's he's the long term answer there, and I think he will be sacked at some point this season. So for that to happen, they're going to have a few bad results, and I would be surprised to see us beat them. I think they've got better players than us, but I think we've got the better manager, and I think at home, it's it's a game we need to be looking to win. See, so yeah, I think we I think we'll win it. I don't think it's going to be uh, the most you know entertaining watch for the neutral, but I think we're going to win it because that's sort of what we do with Benitez. We win these games. I think we're going to going to we're going to get the three points. So I can see it being. One nil, two one, something like that. I think I think we should be fine. So I think I think we're going to get our first win this weekend, and it's going to be very much needed with with the games we've still got coming up um, over the next few weeks as well. All right. Well, thank you guys all so much for coming on. If you want to tell folks where they could find you, now would be a good time. 
Hi, I'm, uh, I've been Thomas Nygren. You can find me on Twitter, at Thomas Nygren. I write about uh, Liverpool on lfcsv.se. Most of the content is in Swedish, but there are a few texts in English as well. And uh, if there are any Swedish listeners out there, you should really look into our podcast, Total Liverpool Podcast. We had an episode two weeks ago where we interviewed uh, Swedish defender Erik Edman about his time at uh, Tottenham and the and the goal that he scored on Anfield. So if you understand Swedish, just really give it a listen. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's, or at 4 EPL Index and The Boot Room. You can find me at Cos underscore Panda 17. I'm a European football writer, right, for Calcio Mercato, the Football Times, and many other websites. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my writings over at uh, Goal.com and also starting this week, ESPN, which still boggles my mind. Um, uh, if you want to listen to fantasy content on this channel, you can listen to the FPL Roundtable, which we record far less reliably than we used to. Um, and also check out the Championship Pod, uh, which will be up tomorrow or today as you're listening to this. They'll both be up um, where obviously they discuss all things Championship. And I think there's uh, excellent content there as well. And it gives you a, head up, a heads up on who's going to be uh, back up in the Premier League next season. Uh, thanks to you three for joining me today. It was a pleasure as always. And at home, we hope to keep listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.